Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. First Thessalonians chapter 5, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 987. 987. While you are finding your place, back when I was in seminary, uh, which is actually right at about 10 years ago, uh, I was driving along I-20 in Fort Worth, minding my own business, when all of a sudden I came across a billboard on the side of the road that declared, it was warning that the end of the world was coming on May 21st of 2011. And so at the bottom it said, the Bible guarantees it. And so upon further investigation when I got home, I found out that the person behind this sign was a man named Harold Camping, who had launched a worldwide campaign to get this message out. And Camping, honestly, was a fairly orthodox believer on the whole, uh, but he was convinced that he had found a secret code in the book of Daniel that proved that the end of the world was coming on May 21st of 2011. Well, at this point, obviously I don't have to tell you that May 21st came and went, and we were all still here. And so then he decided that a spiritual judgment had taken place on May 21st, but that the real end of the world was coming on October 21st, five months later. And then for some reason, things really began to ramp up. Uh, people around the world began cashing in their retirement plans. Uh, some of them stopped taking medications. Uh, there were people who sold their homes and spent all of their money because they weren't going to need it anymore anyway. And then October 21st came and went, and we were all still here. Now, the most frustrating thing about all this was that it was really so simple. Right? Jesus tells us that nobody knows when he's coming back. Right? And when he says that, that that's not... That's not, you know, a backhanded way of saying try harder to figure it out. He really does mean that nobody knows when he's coming back. All right, Camping claimed that the Bible guaranteed that the world was going to end when he said it would. But in reality, the Bible really guaranteed that he had no idea. And hundreds of people ruined their lives in various ways by buying into what he was saying. It was all so unnecessary. For some reason, there's just something about us that, that naturally tends to, to want definite answers to issues surrounding the end of the world, all about the end times. Well, as it turns out, the early church was no different. And so this morning, Paul is going to address issues surrounding the second coming of Christ, and he's going to tell us how we should live in anticipation of it. And so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 1. He writes, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So last week, Paul discussed what happens to believers who die before Jesus comes back. And we saw that, that they are kept safe and sound 
until the day of resurrection. Now as we move into chapter 5, Paul turns to address issues surrounding when Jesus will come back. As he begins, he writes, now concerning the times and seasons. And that phrase, times and seasons, is a way of referring to the timing and the ordering of events that will bring human history to a close when Jesus comes back. And once again, as he has a few times, it appears that Paul is responding to a question that the Thessalonians have sent to him through Timothy about when Jesus is coming back, although we don't know specifically what that question is. And so, uh, in contrast to last week, when Paul was concerned that the Thessalonians not be uninformed about the topic, here he's actually confident that they are not in need of any additional information. And he says, you have no need to have anything written to you. And the reason for that is found in verse 2, where he says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so the day of the Lord is actually an Old Testament concept that the prophets frequently spoke about as the day when God would bring human history to a close. He would execute judgment against his enemies, the rebellious nations of the world, and he would deliver his people once and for all from oppression. And then in the New Testament, the day of the Lord becomes more clearly understood as the day when Jesus will return to gather his people to himself and to execute judgment against those who oppose him, which is part of what we talked about last week. Now, in terms of when this is going to happen, Paul says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, Jesus also described his return in this way, and the point is that it's going to be unexpected. Right? A thief is not going to call you on the phone and say, hey, I was thinking about stopping by later tonight. Right? That's not how they operate. Thieves come when you least expect them. Right? Thieves come in unannounced. And in the same way, Jesus is not going to announce the date of his return in advance. Or to take it from a different angle, in the middle of verse 3, Paul says that, that sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Now, this comparison may not connect with us quite as clearly as it did with people in the ancient world because of all of our modern advances in technology and prenatal care. Uh, but even today, expecting mothers sometimes experience going about their daily lives, minding their own business, and then suddenly, wham, it's time to have a baby. I right? wasn't necessarily expecting to have the baby today, but obviously today is the day, and there's no going back. And so again, the point of this of this parallel is that the day of the Lord is going to come suddenly and unexpectedly. We see at the beginning of verse 3 that this will happen while people are saying peace and security. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that everything in the world is going to be peaceful at this particular point in time. It simply means that there's not going to be anything out of the ordinary happening that would cause people to suspect that the end of the world is close at hand. And so because, again, nobody is going to know that it's happening. Now, I just want to pause here. This is not even the point of the sermon, but I need this for my own mental health as your pastor. Okay, just real quick, I need each of you to acknowledge that you understand that if someone ever tries to tell you that they know when Jesus is coming back, you know that that is not right. Can you just nod your head really quickly up and down that we know that this is not true, and so we're not going to listen to them. Okay, that's going to help me sleep so much better at night as your pastor. All right, but getting back to the passage, 
Paul had apparently explained all of this to the church. Thessalonica. Did I just lose my, my pack? I had the mic. All right, Paul had apparently explained all this to the church during his time in Thessalonica. And now he tells them that they don't need any additional information, not because they know all of the minute details about the events surrounding when Jesus will return, but because they know all that they're going to know about the events and timing of Jesus' return. He basically says that you don't need anyone to write to you about this because you already know that you don't know anything and you're not going to know anything. Jesus is going to return to bring judgment out of nowhere. And he warns at the end of verse 3 that those who are outside of Christ will not not escape the penalty of their sin. But Paul is convinced of better things for the Thessalonians, as we'll see as we move into verse 4. Paul writes, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so picking up again in verse 4, Paul assures the Thessalonians they have nothing to fear. He writes, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light. Now, the use of of light and darkness as spiritual metaphors is is well known in Christianity and even in other religions of the world, and we saw that especially in our study through the book of 1 John. And so we know that, that darkness symbolizes sin and death. It represents being lost and unable to see the right way to go. It portrays the effects of evil in the world. And light, in contrast to darkness, symbolizes purity and life. It represents God opening our eyes so that we can understand and see the proper way to go. It portrays the effects of righteousness in the world. And so by nature, we all exist in spiritual darkness because of our sin. But when God regenerates our hearts through the Holy Spirit and we believe in Jesus... He brings us out of the darkness and into the light. And one of the consequences of being in the light, as we see in verse 4, is that the day of the Lord will not catch us by surprise. And when he says that we won't be surprised, I don't think that he means that we won't be surprised in the sense of experiencing a sense of astonishment, because this is finally happening after all these years. I think what what he's uh, getting at is he's, he's emphasizing the fact that because we are children of light, we will be prepared for that day in a way that people who are in the darkness will not be. Right? We can contrast believers who are aware that the day is coming and who can prepare for it with those who don't know that it's coming and who will be truly surprised at what is happening around them. Right, so we're going to come back to that in a moment. Uh, We're going to do so as Paul explains how we should live in anticipation of that day, beginning in verse 6. And so go back again to verse 6, and we'll continue uh, reading. In light of this, Paul writes, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, uh, let us be sober, having put on 
the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And so here in this final section, Paul draws out the implications of the day of, our, of the Lord for our lives in the here and now. And first of all, he says in verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, it probably goes without saying that Paul is once again using metaphorical language. He's not telling us literally to never sleep, as if we should not go to bed at the end of every day. Uh, nor in this case is he using the idea of sleep metaphorically the way that he did last week to refer to death, as if somehow we could control whether or not we die. Instead, he's using sleep figuratively here to refer to a state of, of laziness or indifference to the things that are happening around us. Right, so we also see that he calls us to be sober. And certainly we should avoid literal drunkenness. The Bible consistently refers to that as sin. Right, but in context, uh, Paul is using sober in a broader sense to refer to being alert and having our wits about us. Uh, being watchful, as Jesus says. Right? Both sleep and drunkenness are activities that primarily happen at night, right? in the darkness. And so because we are people of the light, people who belong to the day, Paul calls us to be aware of the spiritual realities of life and so to prepare ourselves for the day of the Lord. Now, how are we supposed to prepare ourselves for that? What does it look like for us to prepare ourselves for the day of the Lord? Well, to remain awake and sober, Paul explains at the end of verse 8, uh, where he refers to putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Right, so a, a breastplate and a helmet are both articles of, of armor that were used for protection in ancient combat. Right, but Paul, uh, Paul describes this gear not as being made up of bronze or of iron, but of faith, love, and hope. That's because he recognizes that Christians are not engaged in a physical battle. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. And so he tells us that our defense, our armor, consists of faith, love, and hope. And when he tells us to put these things on, he means for us to be characterized by these virtues. To, to put on these things means to be characterized by them in our lives. Now, if you remember back to the very first week in our series through 1 Thessalonians, you might remember what Paul remembered about the Thessalonians. Right, he, he talked about how he always thought and remembered uh, about their, their work of faith, their labor of love, and the steadfastness of their hope. Right, faith, love, and hope. The same three virtues that he's emphasizing once again here in this passage. And so in essence, what we see is that Paul tells the Thessalonians to prepare for the day of the Lord by continuing to do what they're already doing. Right? You keep doing the same things that he's already called them to do. Right? So think about a soldier in the military. Right? How does a soldier prepare for, for the possibility of battle? Does he just sit around all day waiting to see if, if somebody starts shooting somewhere? Well, no, he doesn't sit around simply waiting for something to happen. 
they prepare themselves for battle by going about their normal business. Right? They maintain physical fitness. They keep up with their equipment to make sure that it, it stays in good working order. Right? They, they continue to, to train and, and have uh, drills so that they understand the, the most up-to-date uh, strategies and techniques uh, for fighting. Right? Preparation is built into their everyday lives so that if and when something happens, they're ready. And, and Paul is saying the exact same thing here in our passage. Right? Readiness in the Christian life isn't about sitting around doing nothing, just waiting for Jesus to come back. Being ready for his return it involves doing what we're supposed to do every single day, seeking to grow in our faith, looking for opportunities to love one another, and, and persevering, enduring in hope, because we know that God's promises are true. And if we do that, then whenever the day of the Lord comes, we'll be ready. And then in verse 9, Paul comes back around again to reassure the Thessalonians. He writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Church, this is such good news. This is the best news in the world. In all of the ups and downs and the twists and turns of life, no, no matter what happened, the Thessalonians could always come back to, to the reality that God has demonstrated their love for them through Jesus. Right? As, as Christians, we know that whatever we go through in this life, it is all going to be okay in the end because God has, has destined us for salvation through faith in Jesus. And so whatever persecution they faced, whatever suffering or loss they experienced, the Thessalonians could always fall back on the truth that the God of the universe had saved them and had destined them for eternal life and glory through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And don't, don't miss the contrast here. Paul says that Jesus died for us so that we could live with him. And this is true, as we see in the middle of verse 10, whether we are awake or asleep. Right? And, and so Paul goes back to using sleep once again as a metaphor for death, which ties this passage to what we read about last week, the realities of, of life and death for those who are in Christ. Now, while our sin had separated us from God, while it, it causes us to deserve judgment in his love, God has sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, and he has credited us by faith with his perfect righteousness in exchange. And so that whether we are alive when he comes back or whether we have already died, we will be with him forever. And then in verse 11, just as he did last week, Paul calls the Thessalonians to encourage one another and to build one another up in light of this truth. Again, just as we talked about last week, we see the reality that believers, followers of Jesus, are responsible for one another, and we are responsible to one another. Again, primarily within the membership of the local church. Paul calls us to encourage and to build one another up, to, to help one another follow Jesus and grow stronger in our faith. Another word for that is simply discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Right, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the Ephesians that God gives leadership to local churches so that they can equip the saints, the rest of the church, the membership, for the work of ministry, which he further defines as the building up of the body of Christ. I truly believe that one of the biggest things that the modern church needs to understand and embrace, many of us understand it, but that we need to understand and embrace, is that ministry is not just for pastors. Ministry is not just for church staff. Ministry is for Christians. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are responsible for helping other people to follow Jesus. Again, that is the very definition of discipleship. You need to be encouraged in your walk by other believers. And other believers need to be encouraged in their walk by you. And this is a responsibility that Paul gives us here in this passage as he gives it across the New Testament in a thousand different ways. And so in, in the, the difficulties of life, the, the things that we go through, we need to remind each other of God's love for us in the gospel. Uh, we need to, to identify and celebrate the evidence of how God is working in each other's lives. We need to point each other to the hope in God's promises that we have in his word. And as we do this, we help each other to persevere in the faith until the day the Lord comes. We may not know when that day will be, but we all have the opportunity to be fully prepared for it. We see that the, the Thessalonians were already doing this well, and so Paul finishes the passage by encouraging them to keep going. Do this just as you already are doing And so in our passage this morning, Paul addresses some of the issues surrounding the second coming of Christ. And just as we saw last week, that the emphasis, the point, is not on all of the juicy details that so many of us are constantly looking for, that the emphasis is on being ready for it, however it happens, whenever it happens. We are to prepare ourselves for the day of the Lord by continuing to pursue love and faith and hope and by encouraging one another and building one another up. We are to help each other to follow Jesus. And we have such great hope that when the the Lord returns, that will be a great day of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that hope, then, then I would encourage you to respond to the gospel, to turn from your sin and to place your faith, not in anything that you can do to make yourself right with God, but to trust and place all of your hope fully in what God has already done for you through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. The day of the Lord will certainly come, but as Romans, 1, or Romans 8, 1 promises, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, as we look toward that day, let's prepare ourselves and, and pursue readiness for that day of the Lord. Let's pray together.